rest of the time means till when? Until, till, until they finish, right? Yeah, it's one of those deals when you're preaching. You want to make sure that you don't have them finish before you finish. Because if that happens, you are in big, big trouble. Well, it's my first time to be here. Began to pastor in 1965. Did that for 35 years. And then in 1999, Word of Life asked me if I would come to be the dean of our school in Florida. And so I did. And spent the next 11 years as the dean down there. You go through changes of life, and, and that was certainly one of the things for me because I began to recognize that, that sooner or later I was going to pass off the scene. I'm 75, so those of you who are in my age bracket, you know, we, we, we're, we're in the countdown stage, okay? Uh, you, you kids are saying, I got these many years ahead of me, and I'm looking and saying, I got this many years behind me, and, and we never know when the Lord's going to say, It's time. Time's up, come on up. But the fact is, it's been a wonderful life 35 years of pastoring people and then another 11 years of pastoring a student body. I said when Word of Life asked me to come with them that I, I don't simply want to be a classroom teacher. I want to be somebody who interacts with the students, somebody who has a relationship with them. And so they made me not only the academic dean in Florida, but the campus pastor, which was a delight, because when you're a pastor, you just don't want to give that up. The only problem with pastoring at a school like that, and Florida is a one-year school, you lose your congregation every year. And that's not a good deal. You know, in New York, at least, they have two weeks there. And, of course, at MBBI, you have three and maybe four. But you only have that one year in Florida that uh, you, you lose. And can, can you imagine that, being a pastor and losing your congregation every year? But that really was, I guess, what was, was the plight of my own life in that area. Let me just give you a little background. I'm a grad of Philadelphia College of Bible and Western Seminary. I uh, pastored in New York and New Jersey and Michigan, short time there in Michigan and then North Carolina. It was kind of one of those deals, I think, my wife and I decided we're going to move south, and the Lord moved us south until we finally wound up in Florida. We left all of our kids in North Carolina, so now we move back to North Carolina. You know what they call people that do that? They move from the north, and they move down to Florida, and they come here. They're called halfbacks. They come halfway back, and I guess that's about what we did. We came halfway back to be with our kids. We, we love our kids. We love our one grandson and, and, uh, and delighted to spend time there. Let me just kind of give you a little background. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to look at a passage that I've entitled, God's Rest from My Stress. You ever been stressed? I heard a grunt someplace. There must have been somebody who's saying, yeah, that, that's, that's happened to me. Well, there's a great passage here in Isaiah chapter 40, and if you'd look with me just at a few verses, I want to look at four verses, verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 40 through the end of the chapter and it says this hast thou not known hast thou not heard that the everlasting God the Lord the creator the ends of the earth fainteth not neither is weary there's no searching of his understanding he giveth power to the faint to those who have no might he increases strength even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall here's the great verse but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Stress. Somebody said that stress is the gap that we feel between the demand for service and the denial of supply. You've been there. I've been there. We've all had stress. We're sitting here today. Probably some of you have got on your mind some stressful activities that are going to be taking place. Your stress is if you only had one hour of sleep. Your stress is, 
I hope I can stay awake for the rest of this, right? I mean, that's, that's got to be there. I can understand that. I've, I've done that. I've flown all night and had to get up the next morning and preach, and I really was still in that sort of a la-la land. I go regularly to some of Word of Life schools overseas, and, and that happened to us one year. My wife and I flew to Hungary to teach for three weeks, and um, I, was, I would tell you the first week and a half I couldn't get my clock straightened out in my body, and I'm, I'm wanting to go to sleep, but I'm supposed to be in class, and I was, but I wasn't sure I was there. So, I'll, you know, if, if he sleeps, don't wake him up. Just let him enjoy it, okay? Every once in a while, we need to be able to have that kind of an opportunity. But when there's a gap between the demand for service and the denial of that supply, we have some problems. Somebody said, you know you're under stress if you forget your twin sister's birthday. I, w- I, I, would, I would guess that would be stress. If your birthday cap, c- cake collapses because of too many candles... That would, that, would, that would not be a good day. You put both contacts in the same eye. I think if you have contacts, that would be a problem. If everyone loves your driver's license picture, but they think you look awful, that would be a tough one. That would be a, you wreck your car on the way home from the bank after making the final payment. I think that would be, here, Here's one, my favorite. You call your wife and tell her you'd like to eat out, and when you get home, you find she left a sandwich on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a bad day. Would you not agree? That would, that would be a bad day. Stressful. I'll tell you what, just about everything that we do today has some degree of stress to, associated with it. I heard about this lady who was driving, and she was pulled over by the state trooper, and, and she said, sir, I don't think I was speeding. He said, no, you were not. You were driving 22 miles per hour, and it's a 55-mile zone. She said, well, the sign said, he said 22. That's Route 22. It's 55 miles per, per hour, and, and you can... And she said, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but uh, I, I will try and pay more attention. He said to her, listen, I'm, I'm not too worried about you. I think you can handle it. But these other ladies in the car, there were three other ladies in the back, they're white as sheets. What's their problem? She said, oh, we just got a roof off of Route 119. <laughs> and I, I would think the moral of the story is be careful who you ride with, right? Be careful who's doing, who's doing the driving. I came across a story, this is really a great story. Since age 13, Larry Walters had dreamed of soaring high into the sky in a weather balloon. I don't know if you've ever done that sort of a thing. His truck driving job never allowed him to make any kind of official flight, so he improvised. One night he went to his girlfriend's house and inflated 45 six-foot weather balloons with helium, attached them to an aluminum chair, snugly tethered in his backyard. Next morning, six of Walter's friends looked on as he strapped himself into the lawn chair, equipped with a parachute, a CB radio to call for help if necessary, and a BB pistol to pop some of the balloons if somehow he got too high. Well, he cast off, planning on only a short flight, but when his main safety rope snapped, he shot into the southern California sky. Worried but not panicky, Walter's got on his CB radio with a mayday call. Meanwhile, Los Angeles International Airport Tower started getting calls from TWA and Delta jet pilot... Uh, liner pilots saying they'd spotted a flying lawn chair at 16,000 feet. Western Airlines pilot also radioed to ask if the FAA knew of any skydivers in the area. The higher Walters got, the colder the air became, and he decided to take action. Taking out his air pistol, he shot out several of the weather balloons in an attempt to get his out-of-control lawn chair headed back toward Earth. His nearly frozen fingers lost their grip on the pistol, and it fell overboard, but fortunately his chair started drifting downward controlled only by gallon jugs of water attached to the side for ballast. As the 33-year-old truck driver neared the ground, his 
ropes tangled in the power line, and he ended up dangling five feet off of the earth, shorting out electricity in a Long Beach neighborhood for 20 minutes. Safely back on the ground, Walter said, since I was 13 years old, I dreamed of going up into the clear blue sky in a weather balloon. By the grace of God, I fulfilled my dream. I wouldn't do this again for anything, but I'd be happy to endorse Sears lawn chairs. Well, I guess, you know, there is stress in all areas of life, and we need to be very, very careful about that. Well, look with me at Isaiah chapter 40. In fact, keep your finger there and turn back 10 chapters just for one verse, and then we'll come back. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, there's a verse that says this. It's a great verse. In returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. That's what Isaiah 30, verse 15 says. Now 10 chapters later, and we're back in chapter 40, verse 28, we come to our text. There's a complaint coming from the children of Israel, and the complaint is that God does not really know what's going on. The complaint is that justice should be coming their way, but it's not coming. Why doesn't God know? Doesn't God even care? And so we have the response, verse 28. Don't you know? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not? Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Now you stop right there just for a moment. Because I want to ask you a question. You look at verse 29. Are you one of those people who at some point in your life just got to the place where you kind of felt like you hit the wall and you were about ready to give up and you didn't even want to take another step. You were fainting. What Isaiah is saying is that when you're like that, and I would suspect that many of us on occasion have those days where you just, just, how can I keep on keeping on? He says this in verse 30, when that happens to you, he can give you strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. Verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Psychologist David Elkins said that there are at least three contemporary sources of stress that make it more difficult to live in our society than ever before. The first one was the increase in violent crime. And because of that, we're more afraid than we ever were. It's in our headlines. You stop and think about at least us in the States, and you've been familiar with these as well. Columbine, church in Fort Worth, Texas, a number of years ago when a gunman entered the service and began to shoot people. Post office in Michigan where a guy went in there, went ballistic. You know, the scripture tells us that you sow to the wind, you're going to reap a whirlwind. And that's where America is today. And I would suspect Canada to the same degree. Where can you be safe? If you can't be safe in a mother's womb, where can you be safe? You start to look at that and the abortions that are taking place and here we have shootings in schools and shootings in churches. Remember that synagogue out in Pasadena? Synagogue daycare center where somebody went in and began to shoot kids? So the first thing is we're, we're more afraid than ever before, according to Elkins. Second thing he says is because of the rapidly changing job market and because of the way technology and the economic factors have entered, we are more professionally insecure. You know, if we were to think about my parents, my my parents were born. My mom was born in 1899 and my dad in 1900. And you know, when they finally got a job, of course, moms back in those days, she didn't go beyond junior high school, maybe high school a little bit. But And dad didn't even make it through high school either. But the fact is, you know, you look at that, those people, when they entered a job, they entered a job and they anticipated that they would be in that job the rest of their life. They say today that the average American today has at least 10 to 12 jobs before he retires. 
He moves from one occupation to another. And the economy's changing, and technology's changing, and some of the jobs that were big when I graduated from high school in 1957 are no longer even in, 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 in existence. It's changing. And if we don't change with the times, we're going to be lost from a financial standpoint. We can't do that. So people are more insecure. They're more alone. And you look at our society today, and we kind of see that. People are more afraid. People are more insecure. They're, 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 just, they're just alone. What can we do about it? Well, I don't know that I can do anything about it, but if I understand my text is, God says, if you will give me your stress, I will give you my rest. You give me your stress. I will give you my rest. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, just understanding that God does provide for us. Suppose if I were to ask every one of you on your way out today to, uh, on, at the door, give me a dollar bill. If I would give you a $20 bill in exchange for your $1 bill, would you line up? I would suspect you'd line up. In fact, you'd say, could you take two ones and give me two 20s? Well, I'm not going to do that, obviously, but I would tell you this. That's quite a deal. Here's the deal. God says, if you will give me your stress, I'll give you my rest. See, you can't handle it anyway, but he can handle it. And so we simply need to say, Lord, here it is. I, I, I'm, it's, it's beyond me. It's really, I would call it the great exchange. And the first thing you need to do, if you want to make the great exchange, let me give you three things. You need to remember the promise of God. The promise of God is in verse 29. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases their strength. He says, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you strength. That's the promise of God. He said that to us. We need to remember it. Then he says something else, and that's what I had you go back to Isaiah 34 just for a moment. In returning in rest shall you be saved. What he is saying here is not only remember the promise of God, but return to the plan of God. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. And what he's trying to say to us is, if you'll give me your stress, I'll give you my rest. And he lays that plan out. We want to look at that this morning as well. But thirdly, rest in the power of God. Remember the promise of God. Return to the plan of God and rest in the power of God. And his power is able to make you mount up with wings like an eagle, to run and not be weary, and to walk and not faint. God has power for you. He has power for me. I don't know how many Shakespearean scholars we have in this room. I don't know if anybody would identify themselves with that or not. Shakespeare said the problem is not in the stars. The problem is ourself. Okay, so you don't read Shakespeare and neither do I. But how about Pogo? You ever read Pogo? Pogo said we've met the enemy and he is us. Aren't we sometimes our own enemy? We sometimes create the problems. We create the stress. It doesn't come from somebody else. It comes from the inside. There's a lot of stress there. It's on the inside. And uh, while we maybe can't do anything about the outside stress, we can do something about the inside stress. So the first thing he says we need to do, verse 29, he's going to increase my strength. In verse 30, he says, even the youth are going to faint. How about you? It's, it's interesting. Back in the days I was pastoring in New Jersey, I was also a baseball coach, high school baseball coach. I played a couple of years of semi-professional ball before I went to college and when I was pastoring, I always trying to figure out some sort of a way I could infiltrate the community, and one of the ways I could do that was with athletic skills, and and so I did. And I, I remember watching the kids on the baseball. I went to uh, it was a school that had about 3,000 high, high school students, ninth through 12th. It's a pretty good sized school, would you not agree? But I found it was very interesting that a lot of the guys would not go into the locker room unless some adult supervision was there, because they were afraid what would happen in the locker room. Isn't that tragic? Some of the behavior that sometimes goes on in our society today and some of the behavior that 
it's sometimes the school any they, they can't deal with it they don't know how to deal with it behavior is really bad what's going to happen when I walk into the bathroom or what's going to happen when I walk down the hallways when I turn the corner is there going to be a problem when I turn the corner we have people today who are raised in single-parent homes people have come from abusive situations unsettling types of situations and they sometimes get themselves into all kinds of classroom situations Kids without food, sometimes they go to school, sometimes without love, they're stressed out, even the youth. That's what it's saying here, even the youth. By the way, I'm talking to you about guys on a baseball team. I'm talking about some of the guys who are the superior athletes in the school, and they were not sure what would happen to them if there was not some supervision going on. It's in New Jersey where I was doing the pastoring there, but also teaching and coaching the baseball team. Even the youth are going to faint. So my question comes to you is you need to remember the promise of God. When do we remember it? When do we need it? Let me give you three points, okay? Number one, you need to remember it in times of service. In times of service. If this is like most churches that I'm familiar with, you wind up with a handful of people doing the bulk of the work. It's kind of the way it is. You know, it's, it's sad that it's that way. More could serve, but they don't. And some have gotten past the point of service, and they've done their fair share, and I understand it. I recognize that. We all come to a point where we are not capable of doing what we used to be able to do. But we also need to recognize that sometimes you just get almost burned out in, in, in serving. You're, you're taking on more responsibilities than you can effectively handle. And when you're doing that, always giving out, never taking in, you're going to find you're going to dry up and you're not going to be able to do the job very well. It's really interesting to me that in John chapter 4, Jesus was ministering to a woman at the well. Do you remember the story? He's there, and she comes along, and he sat down. You know why he sat down? He sat down because he was weary. Jesus was tired. And you get tired in the ministry sometimes. Do you know it's not a sin to be tired and to be stressed out? You begin to look at that picture. doesn't mean that you haven't been doing something that, that was wrong. You were doing what was right, but you just kind of got stressed out. And I think if you look into the eyes of an awful lot of people in any church like this, Certainly those of us in my age bracket or maybe a little bit younger, I, I think we have a tired society. We have people who are just worn out. They've kept on giving and giving and giving, and now they just have nothing left, and, and they need some help. They need some. I even thought about that this morning while we were singing. I, I wanted to turn around or in one of the songs, and it was an uplifting, happy song. And, you know, I, I've, I've led singing in the past. You've done that as well, and he was doing it this morning. Were they smiling out there? I remember, one, I remember one time I took into the pulpit with me a mirror that was about like that. And when I was leading the scene, instead of just waving my hands, I, I just kind of went like this, you know. And, and I, I let them see themselves. What they, they, they were going to see what I was seeing. They're singing a happy song, and they looked like they just drank a gallon of pickle juice. It wasn't going to do them any good. I'll tell you, it's interesting here. The Lord Jesus got tired. Mark chapter 5, when the woman touched the hem of his garment, you know what he said? Jesus said, who touched me? And they said, what do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's been touching you. And he went on to say, no, virtue has gone out of me. And virtue is strength. Vitality has gone out of me. The Bible says of John the Baptist in John chapter 5, verse 35, that he was a burning and a shining light. You can't have shining without burning. It's going to happen. And if you're shining, you're going to burn. If you're in ministry, if you're in service, you're going to be under stress. And when you're under that stress, you need this promise in times of service. You need it also in times of sin. I think one of the reasons that sometimes that people are stressed out is because of sin. 
not because of their job, not because of their kids, not because of some negative experience that's come into their life. It's because there's some unconfessed or unrepented of <coughs> sin in their life, and they refuse to get it right with God. I've done a lot of counseling over the years. I know sometimes it's just a little thing that they haven't dealt with, and if they would deal with it, everything would, use the phrase, come up roses. Lord wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy ministry. He didn't call us to serve him so that we could suffer. He did the suffering for us. What a joy it is to serve the Lord. We need to understand that. In Psalm 66, verse 18, however, it says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I have that sin and I tuck it away and I hold on to it, and I'm not going to turn it loose, God says, then the way of the transgressor is hard, and you're going to go through stress. You know, Samson was one of the strongest men in the Bible, perhaps the strongest. The Bible teaches that Samson slew 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a jackass. He took the gates of the city of Gaza on the top of his shoulders. He walked out of the city. He killed a lion with his bare hands. And the Bible says he flirted with a trashy harlot by the name of Delilah. He prostituted his relationship with God, and when he did, he lost his strength. And the Bible concludes in Judges 16, talking about Samson, saying, a little boy led him to his death. It's going to happen. You're going to lose your strength. You get caught up in sin. There's dissipation in sin that happens in a person's life. When sin occurs, you lose the strength that God's provided for you. And I'm talking about believers. I could talk about unbelievers. You know, and first of all, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're lost, you're on your way to hell. There needs to be an understanding of that and a recognition that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided salvation for you. You don't get saved because you are better than somebody else or because your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds or because, you know, you've been a church member or confirmed or catechized or sprinkled or dunked or water hosed or whatever kind of baptism you use. None of that saves you. The only thing that saves you is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a believer, if that relationship does not continue, you're going to lose your strength. You're going to wander about. You're not going to see any purpose in life. And what God is saying to all of us if we ever get into that category, he's saying to those of us who've trusted Christ, let's make an exchange. If you give me your sin, I'll give you my son. You give me your weakness, I'll give you my strength. But that's not going to happen till you come to that point in your life where you say, God, I've sinned. I have failed. And in times of, strength, of, of sin, I, I, I've lost my strength, and I need to remember that. So, number one, in times of sin, I need to remember the promise. Number two, in times of service, I need to remember the promise. And then thirdly, in times of Satan's dealings in our lives, we need to remember that promise. Scripture says, come apart and rest a while. Remember the passage? Just come apart and, and, and rest a while. Satan likes to strike us when we're tired. He likes to really get us when, when, when we're beat. I, I don't know if you heard about the guy who was driving and, and uh, he, he, he came to a stop sign, but he didn't quite stop. He just kind of looked both ways and so he kept on going and Next thing you know, he hears some sirens, and there's a police car that pulls him over and said, I'm going to give you a ticket. He said, you didn't stop. He said, I did stop. He said, no, no, you didn't. He said, well, I, I really did. I kind of slope. He said, get out of the car. And he gets out of the car, and the cop takes his nightstick and begins to beat the tar out of him, really lets him have it. And he said to him in the process, now, do you want me to stop, or do you want me to just slow down? Well, we need to understand sometimes, as believers, we need to sometimes not just slow down in what we're trying to accomplish. We need to stop and just rest in God and let him work in our life. Sometimes we just push the envelope too far. 
So in times of service, in times of sin, in times of Satan's dealings in our life. Turn back with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy just for a moment. But keep your finger in Isaiah because we're going to come back there. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, I want to show you a guy by the name of Amalek. He was a demon-possessed king. And I want you to see what Moses had to say about him. Look at it with me in Deuteronomy 25:17. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you come forth out of Egypt? How he met you by the way and smote the hindmost, those who were back at the crowd, the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou was faint and weary and feared not God. You know what that's saying? I'll tell you exactly what it's saying. It's saying if you're in quicksand, he'll step on your head. That's what it says. It says the devil likes to attack people when they get tired. And we all get tired. The devil attacks children because they don't have that strength to fight them off. The devil will attack you in your marriage. And when things start to go wrong, he's going to heap one thing on top of another. That's what Amalek did. Moses wrote, did he not attack you when you were weak? Did he not attack you when you were feeble? Did he not attack those things that were behind you and you couldn't catch up? There's some that just can't keep up the pace. And that happened with the children of Israel. They were the crowd that was just lingering. They just were not going on. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 14, I know your frame. I remember your dust. I pastored in Pontiac, Michigan for a short period of time. And uh, one of the deacons in my church was the head engineer for Chrysler Corporation. That's what he did all the day. And he, w- he would design cars. Uh, he-, he would design some of the... the fa- and he said to me one day, he said, Pastor, would you... You like to go out on a test ride with me? Well, I never did get the chance to do that. I wished I had because he said, we're testing some things, and, and I just need to just push this car to the limit to see how much it will take before it starts to shake and come apart. Well, I think sometimes we do that, don't we? We push ourselves to the point where we begin to shake and we're about ready to come apart. We don't know what's going on. Now, he, he said to me this, and it's kind of an interesting thing, that, and he was a great deacon, great deacon. He, he, he pointed me to Psalm 103, verse 14, and I marked it in my notes. It says, I know your frame. I remember that you are but dust. He said, I know the frame of this car. I know how much it can handle. I'm going to push it to just to the point where it would break because I need to see if when I do that, there are some parts that need to be worked on a little bit more effectively. That's a car engineer. My father-in-law used to work in the Navy shipyards during World War II. They talked about the fact that they would sometimes take some of those big battleships and just push them to the point where they were almost ready to break apart just to see how much we can handle. Well, God knows how much we can handle. Isaiah, God, don't you know, don't you know that justice has passed me by? Don't you know what's going on in my life? And God says, I know, I know. And when Satan begins to attack you, just remember my promise. What's that? I will give strength to those that are weary. I'll lift you up. I'll give power to those who are ready to faint. So remember the promise of God, number one, in times of service, number two, in times of sin, and number three, in times of Satan's dealings in your life. What you need to do, that's what I talked about earlier, is you need to make the great exchange. You give me your stress, God says, and I will give you my rest. Then he says not only that do we need to remember the promise of God, we need to remember the plan of God. Look at verse 31 in that passage in Isaiah 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I like the verse. In fact, when I read it, maybe I could just stop right there and say, isn't that enough? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Do I need to go beyond that? Well, the answer is I think I do because I'm not sure we know what it means to wait upon the Lord. 
And the best commentary on Scripture that's ever been written is Scripture itself. And so when you begin to look at these words, what do they mean? And I can show you through four different passages what the word wait means. Remember, the promise of God is to wait on him. And every time you see the word wait, you need to see what it means. So let me give you these passages. First one is, is, is in Psalm 62, verse 1. Now, you might want to write it down. You may not get a chance to flip over there. I've written mine down so I can quote it for you. But Psalm 62, verse 1 says, Truly my soul waiteth upon God. And the word there means I desire God. I desire God. I long for God. The psalmist is going to say in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, As the deer, the heart, pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I long for God. That's what he's saying in this passage. So my question is, are you waiting upon God? And when I say that, are you waiting on him in such a way that you long to be in his presence? You're just interested in what he's got to do for you? You have such a desire on a Sunday morning? Did you have that this morning that said, I can't wait till I get to church because together we're going to open God's book. We're going to sing together. We're going to look at God's word together. We're going to worship God together. You just couldn't stay away. I can tell you as a pastor for 35 years, there were some Sunday mornings I didn't want to go to church. I really didn't. I mean, I wasn't feeling where. I, I may have only had an hour's worth of sleep as well, but there is. I had to get up and go, and I was the pastor, so I better show up. I mean, I just couldn't say, you know, stay at home today. But I'll also tell you this. is something about getting around God's people and singing and sharing and getting into God's word that, that before it's over, you're feeling great. Just get there, and you come, and, and, and the Lord makes the difference. He really does if you do it the way he wants because in your heart, you really long for God. You're waiting for God. That's what the word means there. It's, it's a, a word that's not a passive word. It really is an active word. In fact, uh, today when a young couple spends a lot of time together, what we usually say, what they are doing is they're dating one another, right? But the word that was used before that was the word courting. And we rarely use the word court anymore. Is that here in Canada? Is the word court used much or is dating probably a, a little more legitimate word that we understand? You know what the word was back in other days before that? It was waiting. It was waiting. It wasn't dating. It wasn't courting. It was waiting. A guy would wait on a girl. That's what he would be doing when he was romancing her. And he waited on her, and he waited on her, and then he married, and he still waits. I mean, that's the way it is, right? But I will tell you this. This matter of waiting is not something that's passive, not just sitting back and waiting. When you go to a restaurant, you'll find somebody who takes your order, and they bring you your food. And depending on the gender, we call them waiters or waitresses. Why do we call them waiters or waitresses? We are the ones that are waiting. No, they are taking care of us. They are meeting our needs. And I'll tell you, when that's happening, you can kind of run out of steam someplace along the way. They're the ones who are pursuing. And so what we're saying here is you wait on God. You wait on him pursuing that relationship, making sure your relationship with him is not conflicted with other relationships. That's the number one relationship. That's the word wait. The word is also used in Proverbs 8.34 where it says, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my door, waiting at the post of my door. door. Solomon is saying there's some value in, in waiting because blessing will come. What waiting means in that verse, Proverbs 8.34, is you're there and you're listening to God. You're listening to God. It's you and your Bible. 
You've got it open. You're listening to what he's got to say. And God says, that kind of a man, blessed, is the man who is waiting at the post of my door. So my question is, using that word, are you waiting on God? Do you long for God? Do you listen to God? Do you say, oh God, I want you to speak to me today. I want you to say something to me today. Are you really that way when you get up in the morning and you've done your quiet time, your devotions, and you didn't read it just sort of sleepily to get through it, but you said, Lord, I, I, I need to hear something. Direct me. I wait on him. The third time the word is used is Psalm 104, verse 27. These all wait upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. And the verse before that was talking about the sea creatures, and it said, even the sea creatures wait upon God to give them their meat in due season. What does that mean? And then in the New Testament, even the sparrows wait upon God for, to give, for him to give them their food as well. What it means is they are looking to God. They're looking to somebody to provide for them. So if we are waiting for God, if we're waiting on him, we long to be with him, we listen to him, we look to him, and we say, God, I am looking to you to supply my needs. But I'm going to be active in the process. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to hunger after you. I want that relationship to grow. You want some help for your stress? That's what you need to do. And then the fourth time the word is used is Proverbs 27:18. It says, Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. What does the word wait mean? How do you keep a fig tree? Well, I'm no farmer. But I think if you understand it a little bit, what you do is you prune it and you fertilize it and you spray it and you serve it and you live for it. And if you do, you're going to get some results. You're going to get some figs. you got to work at it. you got to work at it. In other words, the young person who is really pursuing God, he is trying to wait on him. Or the older person, I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to love Jesus. And like I would take a fig tree and prune it and fertilize it and spray it, I'm going to do that in my spiritual life so that by the time I get better, time I get through, I'll be better than I was before I began. So what does it mean? It says if you long for God, you listen to God, you look to God, you live for God, you're going to find that you're the kind of a person who is waiting on God and you've returned to the plan of God. I would suspect if, if I were your pastor and uh, my pastoring days are on that side, you know, I enjoyed the 40 years that I, 35 years that I pastored. And I enjoyed the 12, 11, 12 years I pastored students. I, I, will, I will tell you this. I, I know enough to know that in every congregation I ever had, there were some people who didn't understand what quiet time was all about. They never read the word. They never got into the book. They spent the whole day without opening God's word. And that's the one reasons I think sometimes that some people are so uptight. That's the reason sometimes that some people are so irritable. You're stressed because you're not being with God enough. And God is waiting for you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to talk to him. What God is saying is, I want to make a trade. He's saying, if you'll give me your stress, I'll give you my rest. But you've got to give it to him. You've got to let him have it. What it means is this. Number one, I need to remember the promise of God. Number two, I need to return to the plan of God. Number three, I'm going to rest in the power of God because that's what he said he would give me. Now, notice when you go through this, it's, 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 it, it almost looks like an anticlimactic kind of a thing. It says you're going to mount up with wings like eagles, and then it says you're going to run and not be weary, and then you're going to walk and you're not going to faint. What he's trying to say to us is that he's going to give you power in three different ways. Number one, he's going to give you power for adversity. And that adversity is what we would call soaring power. Now, there are times when 
There are things that come into our life that we don't plan. Storms come into our life. Ever had those? Didn't anticipate it? It might be the loss of a job. It might be the son or the daughter who goes astray. It, it, it might be some illness that you were not anticipating and the doctor told you it doesn't look good, didn't expect it. What can you do when that happens? He said, what you can do is, because I'm going to give you my power if you're giving your stress, you can mount up with wings like an eagle. You know that an eagle flies, they tell me, on a normal day at about 50 miles per hour. But when a storm comes, the eagle gets up on top of the storm and he harnesses the power of the storm. And instead of flying at 50 miles an hour, he flies up to 100 miles an hour because it's the storm that propelled him. He gets up there. And what Scripture is trying to say to us is we can mount up with wings like an eagle if we'll let God's power get underneath us because he'll pick us up on top of the problem. He'll pick us up on top of the storm. And we don't have to worry about what's going to happen because he's got us in his hand. What he's saying is, you know, when, when death invades your family circle, happened to our family not too long ago. I was teaching in Owen Sound. I got up there on a Monday night, got a phone call. It was my sister, and she said, uh, Ron passed away this morning. Talked about my brother-in-law, and I want you to do the funeral, Chuck. And obviously, that was going to be the case. So I taught for five hours on Tuesday morning. and five hours. Would you like five hours of the same professor in a row? I mean, that's, that's not fun. And then I had to do five hours the next day. I mean, I don't care how good the professor is. I mean, he's going to drill you to death. I mean, it's going to be. But I had to do it. So then I flew to New Jersey. My sister lived, and I did the funeral there. And then I flew back up on Sunday and do the next week with the students at Owen Sound. You know, there are some times when things come into our lives that we just don't anticipate. My sister didn't anticipate it to come that quickly. He was not well. We knew that. But it just happened overnight, and there it was. Well, what he's saying here is when those things come into your life, I'm going to be able to give you what I call soaring power. Like an eagle, I'm going to get you on top of the storm. I'm going to get you there where you're going to be able to look down and recognize that I'm in control. Soaring power, skimming above the problems. Now, in times of dark adversity, that's what we need, soaring power. But God not only has soaring power, he has what I would call surging power. And surging power is that which comes in the second part. He says, they shall run and not be weary. You know what he's talking about? He's not talking about adversity. He's talking about opportunity. And you and I need to understand that we have all sorts of opportunities sitting out there in front of us, divine opportunities. And stress, you need to understand, is not always bad. You know that, right? You don't ever want to get all the stress out of your life. There are some things that, that you kind of call nice stress. N-I-C-E. New, interesting, challenging, exciting. That's the kind of way it is in the ministry. It sure is that way at Word of Life where I've worked for a number of years. Stress. I'm sure it's that true with any faculty member at MVBI. Life is that way. New, interesting, challenging, exciting. And then there are deadlines. And deadlines are good. In fact, without them, some of us would never get anything done. I think I'm sort of one of those guys that would procrastinate if I had the opportunity, but Frankly, I've had so many things on my plate, the opportunity really isn't there very often. But we're not looking here at dark adversities, like the death of somebody. We're looking at divine opportunities, divine opportunities. And that's where we find ourselves in ministry. I know what deadlines are. 35 years as a pastor, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I wrote a weekly newspaper column. And I want to tell you there were times when I walked into the pulpit and the ink on my notes wasn't even dry. And this would happen over and over again. Deadlines, they keep coming at you. My wife were here. Uh, she would tell you that there were probably weeks on end. Now, listen carefully. 
that I probably went through PMS. You didn't think that happened to men? It does for a pastor. It's called pre-message stress. And I'm not quite sure where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to... But I would get a little irritable. And the kids would know, don't get near dad. He's just not doing too well. But I'll tell you what. Sometimes it's not always bad stress. Sometimes it's good stress because it'll have a positive outcome if you harness it. Do you know that carbon and graphite and diamonds are all made from the same material? But the diamonds withstood the pressure better than the rest, and they came out shining pretty well at the end. There was stress involved in that, and it wouldn't have been what they were if there had not been that stress. And some of us have those opportunities in front of us, and they're challenging, and there's stress there. You got deadlines, you're growing hard, you got a schedule to meet, and nobody else would want your schedule. You know what you need? You need surging power. You can rest on the promise of God that He'll provide with you, for you, the power necessary to meet with surging power the divine opportunities that are out there. Kind of like the guy who saw the sign on a barrel of fish, said, If not delivered within three days, don't bother. And I think that's kind of the way it is with deadlines. Man, if I don't get it done by such and such a date, just just don't bother. But there's another kind of power. It's sustaining power. This passage really is not anticlimactic. It looks like it's slowing down, but it's building to a wonderful climax because the climax is victorious living. Victorious living is more than soaring like an eagle. Victorious living is more than running like a gazelle. It's walking like a man. It's walking like a woman, not in times of dark adversity, not in times of divine opportunities, but it's walking, listen, in those things that we call daily necessities. And that's where we are, aren't we? There are things that come on us every day, day in and day out, moment after moment, the old, same old, same old grind, never-ending series of demands that are placed on us in order to get from part of the day to the end of the day. I got a letter recently. I'm, I'm going to be meeting this guy this week at, at Living Waters. He, he wrote me a letter. And he's now a pastor. But he said, I'd done some meetings in Epsom, New Hampshire one time, and this has got to be way back. I mean, it, it's got to be back in the, in the early 80s. And he wrote, he said, I came to the meeting that night, Dr. Scheide, and I was at the point where I really wanted to commit suicide. I was ready to chuck the whole thing. And the only reason I didn't was because I loved my wife and I loved my kids, and I didn't want them to have to go through that, but I didn't think there was any end in sight. And then he said, what you said that night challenged my life. And I went back home. You know what I did? I went to MVVI. And now he's pastoring in Maine. Not in Maine. In, 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 uh, well, maybe it is in Maine. I'd have to look at the letter again. He said, I'm going to come to the pastor's conference that I'm speaking at. So he's going to introduce himself to me because I don't remember him. I mean, he was a face in the congregation. I don't know whether he shook my But he said he went home that night and he said to his wife, hey, there is hope. There is hope. We need to understand that we've got a new plan for our life and figure out whatever it was, but they did. Man, I'll tell you, we face problems as moms and dads, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We face it in our home. We face it in our occupation. Did you ever hear about the fellow who wouldn't get up in the morning and go to school? His mother knocked on his bedroom door, and she said, it's time to go to school. And he said, I'm not going to school today. And she said, give me two good reasons. And he said, I will. The kids hate me and the teachers hate me. And she said, I'm going to give you two good reasons why you should go to school. You're 45 years old and you're the principal. <laughs> yeah, I guess you should go to school. I mean, that's part of this picture. Every day is filled with stressful details. There must be some educators here in this room. You understand where, where that is. I'll tell you, 
There are hot days and cold days every day, day in and day out, week in and week out, month after month, year after year. That's where we are. The Christian life just needs to keep on keeping on. You just, you just can't quit, and you don't have to because you can have sustaining power. It's not the adversities. It's not even those opportunities. It's the necessities of life that come to us on a daily basis. And God says, I'll tell you what you can do. You can rest in my power. I'll give you that. And with it, you'll mount up with wings like an eagle, that's soaring power. And you'll run and not be weary, that's surging power. And you'll walk and you'll not faint, that's sustaining power. Let me try and tie this up and we'll be able to go to lunch, okay? I want to build it on an acrostic, and I'm going to use the word wait, W-A-I-T. W stands for widen your horizons. What I mean is sometimes there are things that come into our lives, and we make value judgments before we should make value judgments. We say, this is good, this is bad. No, just relax. Wait. Widen your horizons. Widen your horizons. You don't know what's going to happen. Letter A stands for accept your limitations. God made you, you. He made you the way you are. He gave you your strengths. He gave you your weaknesses. You're in God's design somehow, someplace. So just accept your limitations. Widen your horizons. Accept your limitations. I stands for invite God's strength. Did you ever watch the Tournament of Roses Parade? New Year's Day? How many have seen that? You know, beautiful, isn't it? Well, there was one day this beautiful float was going, it covered the whole road, Tournament of Roses, and the float just sputtered finally stopped it ran out of gas that's why they stopped the whole parade was backed up for 15 20 minutes till they got some trucks in there and began to pull that thing out the irony is that the sponsor of the float was standard oil company and they had at their disposal all the oil in the world that they would ever want but they ran out of gas and i would say to you and me we need to understand we've got all the resources god almighty right there and we run out of gas that's tragic when that happens. And I would suspect that if I could look into your heart, I can only look into your eyes, those that have them still open. Oh, I'm not talking to my class, though I have that from time to time. But the fact is, you know what? You've got God's family, and you've got this church, and you've got the Spirit of God, and you've got the Bible, and you've got prayer, and you've got God at your disposal, and the Holy Spirit of God to fill you, and you're running out of energy and gas because you don't let him take over. You're going to do it your own way. Do you know that in the stock market, this is about 12 or 13 years ago, Bill Gates in one instance lost $5 billion, and it didn't cause him even to worry because he still had $45 billion left over. You know, our God makes Bill Gates look like a pauper. The resources that God has, they are there available for us. And so what we need to do is we need to simply not work out of our own resources, but we need to wait. W-A-I-T. Widen your horizons. Accept your limitations. Invite God's strength. And T says, trade your stress for God's rest. That's the exchange. You know what God is saying? You give me your sin, I'll give you my son. You give me your stress, I'll give you my rest. You give me your weakness, I'll give you my strength. You come to me like a Saul, I can send you home a Paul. You give me you, I'll give you me. That's what he does for us. That's the exchange. Folks, the Christian life is a changed life, but it's also, it's also an exchange life daily. So I can go through the dark adversities and the divine opportunities and the daily necessities of life. But to do it, he provides for me soaring power so that I can mount up wings like an eagle. 
He provides surging power so I can run and not be weary. And he provides sustaining power so that I can walk and not faint. And he does it when we make with him the great exchange. Do we have a great God? Do we have a great God? Amen. Father, thank you for every opportunity we get to sit, listen to you speak to us. I would trust that I've been able to deliver your message this morning, Father. I would pray that if there are folks here who need to make decisions, they would. I would probably, from a human perspective, think that most everybody in this room is saved, but I, I don't know that. And if they're not, they need to come and say, God, I'm a sinner. I'll give you my sin. Would you give me your son? And you'll say, I'll do exactly that. And there are probably some believers here, Father, who are probably struggling with life. And if they would come to you say, Father, would you handle my problems? He would say, yeah, wouldn't you, Lord? You'd say, I'll, I'll give you my strength. I would certainly pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today who needs to make a decision, either a decision for Christ to say, I want him as my Savior, or a decision simply to say, I don't need to try and do it on my own anymore. I'm going to wait upon the Lord and let him work out the details of my life. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this opportunity of challenging them. Because even as I challenge them, I challenge myself to recognize that the Christian life to be lived successfully is lived one day at a time, trusting you, waiting upon you to meet our needs. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know.